With great power comes great responsibility. Name that quote. If you know who said it, put it in the comments below or email me at chat at datages.com. Then click subscribe and stick around for an episode all about responsibility. You know, when I was your age, go ask your mother. I know you don't like it. It builds character. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not just talking to hear my own voice. Hello, listener, and welcome to Datages. I'm your host, Chad Hagel. And if you are looking for some fatherly wisdom for your career, your family, or any other aspect of your life, then you've come to the right place. If you want to learn more about Datages, find additional content, submit questions or feedback to me, or if you want to know if that mental picture you have of me after hearing my voice matches my real face, visit datages.com. Thanks for being here. And before you listen to our podcast, please listen to your father. Greetings, Datages friends and family, and welcome back to Datages. Today's episode is one that is really foundational to me. It centers around one of my strongest beliefs and one of the fundamental elements of the structure of both my family and my company. Today's datage is this. Responsibility is a luxury, and accountability is the price we pay for it. I could talk for hours about this datage. Don't worry, I won't do that today. This will be the first part of a two-part mini-series on this topic. Today, I'll talk about concepts around responsibility and accountability in a global sense. And then in our next solo cast, I'll talk about how to apply these concepts in business and family settings. We'll keep this to a typical Datages episode. Just hang with us and enjoy the next 30 minutes or so. I know you all have important things to do, and I'd hate to be the cause of you being irresponsible while listening to me ramble on about responsibility. That wouldn't be very, well, responsible of me. So let's get to it. Responsibility is a luxury and accountability is the price we pay for it. What do I actually mean by this? Glad you asked. First, let's talk about the two concepts, responsibility and accountability. Aren't those just two different words for the same thing? Yes and no. There are multiple definitions of the word responsibility in the dictionary. One of them is the state of being accountable for something. (laughs) Obviously, in this case, the two words literally mean the same thing because one is used to define the other. In the Datages Dictionary, though, we are choosing a different definition of responsibility, which is the opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. I love this particular definition. And accountability, what's that exactly? Merriam-Webster says it is the state of being accountable. Gee, thanks, Webster. So helpful. Well, let's go further. A synonym for accountable is answerable. In turn, Webster goes on to tell us answerable suggests a relation between one having a moral or legal obligation and a court or other authority charged with oversight of its observance. And M.W. also says accountable suggests imminence of retribution for unfulfilled trust or violated obligation. Now we're getting somewhere. While responsibility is described as an opportunity and an ability, which is exactly the way I see it as a luxury, 
accountability is rooted in obligation and retribution in the event of violation of those obligations. Let's focus first on responsibility. Responsibility is an opportunity. Not everyone gets to be responsible. If you're in prison, you probably don't have much responsibility. You're being told every day what to do and how to lead your life. There are very few choices you get to make every day and a very limited set of outcomes to pursue. Responsibility is an ability. Not everyone can be responsible. Very young children, for example, have a very limited range of experiences and knowledge to be able to make decisions for themselves. This is basically why parents exist. We serve as proxies for young children, taking responsibility for every action and decision, and then progressively relinquishing that role as they get older and expand their capabilities. At least that's the idea. Obviously, there are absentee parents who play little or no role in the lives of their children and fail to provide the guidance, the example, and the decision-making framework for their children to grow into responsibility and self-sufficiency. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are helicopter parents who hover over their kids to ensure they never make a mistake while never letting them make a decision. And snowplow parents, which are so far out in front of their kids, clearing the way that the kids are never even exposed to the existence of the decisions in the first place. Either of these scenarios, underparenting and overparenting, can lead to challenges in children growing into the ability to be responsible. Now, how does one come by responsibility in the first place? I feel like there are essentially three ways. Responsibility can be taken, responsibility can be given, and responsibility can be earned. Taking responsibility in a business or organizational setting is not necessarily a positive thing. Certainly, there are examples throughout history of prominent businessmen and leaders who had a certain knack for stepping up, stepping in, and taking control in critical situations. And many of these individuals are recognized as saving companies or saving countries. From a business perspective, I think of Lee Iacocca, who is credited with taking charge of Chrysler and saving the company in 1979. Iacocca was very fond of the quote, lead, follow, or get out of the way. He adopted this quote from General George Patton, who in turn adopted it from Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers of the United States. Clearly, this quote regarding taking charge and the domineering spirit it represents is part of the fabric of our culture here in the United States. But even for Lee Iacocca, this approach was not always a recipe for success. Prior to taking the helmet Chrysler, Iacocca was fired as president of Ford Motor Company, even after being a fundamental figure in the development of the iconic Ford Mustang. Why? Because people just did not like him, according to Henry Ford Jr. Iacocca described that firing, quote, like getting kicked off of Mount Everest. We'll come back to mountain climbing in a minute. Here's another quote from a leader about taking responsibility, taking charge, and taking control. I will conquer and subjugate the world. Did this quote come from Genghis Khan, Hannibal, Alexander the Great? No, it came from Reverend Sun Myung Moon the founder of the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, otherwise known as the Unification Church. Moon started amassing followers in South Korea after World War II and eventually grew the church to over 3 million members. These members or 
followers became known as Moonies. And majority of the world has come to view the Unification Church as a cult. Obviously, cults are an extreme example of powerful leaders taking control of the hearts, minds, lives, and money of their followers. That's great power and great responsibility. The stories abound of dramatic negative consequences, including mass casualties associated with these types of cults. Think of Waco, Heaven's Gate, and most recently, just earlier this year in 2023, a doomsday cult in Kenya led to over 400 deaths of cult members. And with regard to the Moonies and the Unification Church, well, the assassination of Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in 2022 was linked to his involvement in the church. So clearly, this approach of simply taking responsibility can come along with some negative consequences. I think there's one notable exception to this. There is one case where taking responsibility is always a positive thing, and that is in taking responsibility for yourself. Buddha said, it is better to conquer yourself than to win a thousand battles. Then the victory is yours. It cannot be taken from you, not by angels or by demons, heaven or hell. Wow, powerful stuff there from Buddha. Indeed, experts from every related discipline of human study, from religion to philosophy to psychology, agree that taking responsibility for oneself is a pathway to success and happiness. One of the most important concepts inherent in this notion of personal responsibility is the fact that while we cannot control what goes on in our world, we can control how we choose to react to our circumstances. There may be many things that happen in our lives that are not our fault, but the impact those events have on us is definitely entirely on us. One of my favorite contemporary authors is Mark Manson. In his masterpiece entitled The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Manson shared the following to explain the difference between fault and responsibility. There's a difference between blaming someone else for your situation and them being responsible for your situation. Nobody else is ever responsible for your situation but you. Many people may be to blame for your unhappiness, but nobody is ever responsible for your unhappiness but you. This is because you always get to choose how you see things, how you react to things. You always get to choose which metric with which to measure your experiences. I think this notion of personal responsibility was one of the hardest obstacles to overcome and one of the most expensive investments in my own marriage. The topic occupied cumulatively around 80 hours of couples therapy and probably represented a total investment of $15,000 during that time period. The final conclusions after all of that time and money spent, there are two. One, everything is my fault. And two, my wife Nina is responsible for how she reacts to all of the things I do wrong every single day. I consider the investment in this outcome to be money well spent. It continues to have a strong return on investment still today. Taking responsibility for yourself is a powerful tool in relationships. It is also a powerful motivating force in facing life's greatest challenges. There are many obstacles that we cannot conquer. They are simply too great, but we can conquer ourselves and take control over our choices and our actions in order to will ourselves to surpass the insurmountable. 
This is where we come back to Lee Iacocca's Mount Everest moment. Edmund Hillary, who knew Everest better than 99.9% of us ever will, said this, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. I think it all comes down to motivation. If you really want to do something, you will work hard for it. Human life is fragile. We live in the space between one breath and the next. Clearly, Lee Iacocca understood this because he seized the day and took the helm of Chrysler, executing one of the greatest turnarounds in corporate history, less than a year after he was kicked off the mountain at Ford. We've explored the ups and downs of taking responsibility. So what about giving responsibility? What does that look like? There are many ways that we can either choose to or are forced to give over responsibility to others in our lives. And get ready, because I'm going to take you on a journey across the entire spectrum, from religion and parenting to professional sports. Let's start with religion. There is an exceedingly common phrase that comes out of the Christian faith. That phrase is, let go and let God. I'm not going to stake a personal opinion on the value of this notion, nor exactly how it should be interpreted. Those are some of the most hotly debated topics in Christianity. In addition to these debates, there are books, songs, and even a movie that bear this phrase as their title. I will just try to explain some of the interpretations that exist and the implications as I see them. According to Christianity.com, I wonder how much the domain holder Salem Web Network had to pay for that domain name. Here's the meaning of let go and let God. To let go and let God means acknowledging that we should not be entitled to our own selves. We should let go of lingering doubts and we should submit our entirety to God alone. When God is in control of our lives, our lives become whole. The question inherent in this notion and the source of debate that surrounds it is whether or not this notion of relinquishing control, giving responsibility to God, leads ultimately to passivity and irresponsibility at an individual level. A biblical scholar I discovered argues to the contrary. Kenneth Birding, who is a professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology, wrote this in the Good Book blog, citing the Apostle Paul. I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Birding goes on to write, this verse is especially helpful because it emphasizes both that a Christian must toil and struggle, but also that he must do it with the energy that God works within us. So let go and let God seems to either imply a complete relinquishing of responsibility to God or working as an active instrument of God, acknowledging that responsibility for what you achieve resides in the hands of God working through you. Beyond this religious concept of giving over responsibility to God, we give responsibility to others in many other ways in life. Here are just a few examples. We already spoke about parents and children. Small children are born into a circumstance in which they have involuntarily given over the responsibility to their parents or guardians. How about a soldier enlisting in the army? A young man or woman who joins the armed forces is certainly turning over a great deal of responsibility for their lives to their commanding officers. And what about every time we get on a plane? We hand over responsibility for our safety and our lives to the pilot and the crew. Athletes who join a sports team. For the hours that they're on the field training, 
they have certainly turned over responsibilities for many of their decisions to their coaches. And let's stick with professional sports teams for a minute. What about the owner of the team? That owner is definitely turning over responsibility and putting the fate of his franchise in the hands of the head coach. But who's really in charge? At the end of the day, it isn't the coach who's been given the responsibility. It's the owner who gave it because he can take it away at any time. Just ask the five NFL head coaches who were fired this last year. So it's the team owner who's in charge. Not so fast, Daniel Snyder. Ultimately, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, and the other owners decided that he was no longer worthy of the responsibility of being a team owner, and he was forced to relinquish that control by selling the team. And it is within these examples from professional sports that we find an important truth. Giving responsibility is one of the most effective ways to retain control. Think about that for a minute. You can retain control by giving responsibility. How is this true? Because you can always take it away. It is by this same mechanism that the board of directors of a major corporation is more powerful than any CEO. And ultimately, even the board of directors can be recalled by the shareholders collectively who are the ones who have implicitly granted responsibility for running the company to that board. As a final illustration of giving over responsibility to others, I want to talk from my own personal experience about adventure sports. When we choose to participate in dangerous activities that challenge our own personal limits, we're often putting ourselves and our lives in the hands of others. I've been heliskiing, skydiving, scuba diving, hiking while on safari. In each of these circumstances, I granted a great deal of responsibility to another person who was responsible for my well-being. Now, I'm sure that if I went back and reviewed all of those liability waivers, I'd find out that legally, none of them were responsible for a damn thing. But setting the attorneys aside for now, I think the individuals who find their way into those lines of work willingly take on that responsibility. Many of them in a heroic way. Maybe the shining example of this, and we're back to mountain climbing for the third time in this episode, is Nims Perja, one of the most famous and accomplished Sherpas in history. If you haven't seen the documentary of Nims on Netflix entitled 14 Peaks, please do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's truly inspirational stuff. Now, while I don't have a Nims story, I do want to share one of my favorite stories to tell from my life to date. I call this my Mountain MacGyver story, or otherwise known as the boot sickle. As I mentioned a moment ago, I've been heliskiing several times. On one trip to Mike Weegley Heliskiing in Blue River, Canada in 2014, we were on an all-day trip, nearly an hour away from the lodge by helicopter. Now, all of the guides at Weegley are fantastic and very experienced. On this particular day, we came down our second or third run of the day to a pickup point in a valley where the helicopter was waiting for us. When we arrived at the landing zone, I pulled off my skis and I took a step toward the helicopter. Whoosh! My foot punched straight through the snow, down nearly four feet and into a flowing stream beneath the snowpack. My boot was instantly flooded with water. My foot was soaked. The water temperature was at the freezing point and the air temperature was a balmy 10 degrees Fahrenheit. When I pulled my foot free from the creek bed and climbed into the helicopter, my entire boot froze within five minutes. The boot sickle was created. 
Now we were so far from the lodge that I really only had two choices. The entire group could sacrifice the rest of the day and we could fly back to the lodge or I could lose my foot to frostbite. Obviously neither was a great choice, but here's where our guide Eric stepped up and saved the day. When we got to the drop point at the top of the next peak, once the helicopter had cleared the area, Eric had me ski over to a nearby ridge. He created a seat for me with his skis and mine. He proceeded to pull off my boot sickle. He pulled off one of his boots as well. He was wearing two pairs of socks. He pulled off one sock and used it to replace the wet sock I had been wearing. Clearly, that wasn't going to be enough. My boot was still wet and frozen. Eric pulled out two of those hand warmer packs and activated them. Then he pulled out the trail map that he carried in his jacket. The trail map was in a large plastic bag to keep it dry. He removed the plastic bag, wrapped it around my foot, which was now wearing his dry sock. He slid the two hand warmers into the bag, making sure to carefully position them around my foot so that it would fit in the boot. Eric had essentially MacGyvered me a heated dry suit from my foot while perched on the side of a mountain in the wilderness. I skied the rest of the day, which was an epic day of backcountry powder skiing, and my foot stayed warm and dry. And on top of all of that, even though Eric was the real hero of the day, I was named skier of the day back at the lodge just for hanging in there. It just goes to show you that there can be rewards for bestowing responsibility upon others. At the end of the day, though, I think the most important way to attain real responsibility is to earn it. Clearly in my story, Eric had earned his level of responsibility through decades of experience before I ever chose to grant him responsibility for my personal safety. In most settings, responsibility is something to be earned. And that is really where accountability comes in. If you're going to take charge of something, you better be willing to own the outcome. I think the highest example of this to which I've been exposed is the Navy SEALs. My son was reading the book, Extreme Ownership, How Navy Seals Lead and Win. I borrowed it from his nightstand, and I took a read. It's a pretty compelling book. I highly recommend it. It's a New York Times number one bestseller and well-deserving of that distinction. The authors, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, are former Navy Seals who fought in Iraq and went on to form a business leadership consulting firm that passes along the principles of SEALs training and applies them to a business setting. Like I said, it's a great book. You should check it out, and we'll put a link in the bulletin board at datages.com. I'm going to focus on three key principles from extreme ownership. Here they are in the words of the authors. One, on any team, in any organization, all responsibility for success and failure rests with the leader. The leader must own everything in his or her world. There is no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win. Number two, leadership isn't one person leading a team. It's a group of leaders working together up and down the chain of command to lead. Once people stop making excuses, stop blaming others, and take ownership of everything in their lives, they are compelled to take action to solve their problems. They are better leaders, better followers, more dependable and actively contributing team members, and more skilled in aggressively driving toward mission accomplishment. But they're also humble, able to keep their egos from damaging relationships and adversely impacting the mission and the team. 
Number three, when setting expectations, no matter what has been said or written, if substandard performance is accepted and no one is held accountable, if there are no consequences, that poor performance becomes the new standard. Wow. I really like all three of these excerpts from Extreme Ownership. Let's go through them, and I'll, I'll give them the datages treatment and explain them a bit further based upon my own perspective. I'll show how each of them defines the process of earning responsibility in an organization. Starting with the first point, leaders must be accountable for everything that happens in an organization. They have to take ownership of failures and adapt to find a pathway to success. A leader must not only earn responsibility up front, a leader must earn that responsibility over and over again every day by being accountable for everything that happens in the organization. Now, I think this is obvious to all of us at the highest level of operations and decision-making. Decisions made at the top, strategy, core values, mission, organizational structure, company culture, it's clear that these things are very top-down and can only come from the leader of the organization. But the leader of a big company can't be responsible for what happens in the mailroom, right? Wrong. When I say that a leader is responsible for everything, I mean everything. While the rule in growing an organization is delegate or die, and it is important to trust the people that you hire around you, ultimately, it is the leader of an organization that builds the processes for running the organization, sets parameters for interviewing and selecting team members, establishes training protocols, determines the processes for creating other processes that are effective all the way down to the most basic administrative level, sets reporting procedures and management reviews. Y you get the idea. This is the big picture. While the CEO of a company may not put their hands on every piece of mail going through the mailroom, their fingerprints are certainly all over the place. But the commitment to earning responsibility in an organization is not limited to the man or woman at the top. This is where the second premise of extreme ownership comes into play. Within an organization, from top to bottom, each individual must take accountability. This is how each member of the organization earns the responsibility that is ultimately granted to them. This doesn't happen by default. It has to be a conscious element of an organization's culture. It must be woven into the very fabric of the organization and be perceived accordingly, both inside and outside of the organization. I don't think there is anyone in the world who has the most basic understanding of the Navy SEALs that doesn't believe that accountability is fundamental to their organization. If leaders want to create such a culture, it must be broadcast outside their organization. In this way, the organization becomes self-selecting. It attracts only those individuals who want to sign on to be part of such a culture. As I said, creating and promoting this culture is the responsibility of the leader. And then putting the right chess pieces in the right places on the board and bestowing upon them the right roles and responsibilities. To extend the chess analogy, only a terrible leader would think that a pawn can play the role of a knight or a queen. In the next episode, I'm going to give you a number of practical, actionable tips for how to accomplish these objectives within your own organization and even within your own family. This brings us to the third point from extreme ownership. Expectations and objectives are only as real as the consequences for failure to meet them. 
This part of the mission briefing may seem rather draconian or harsh, but I can assure you that this is the real secret sauce. You've all heard me talk before about the concept of moral hazard, the idea that permitting an undesirable behavior to occur only serves to encourage the same undesired behavior to occur again. In an organization, avoiding this pitfall really comes down to good communication. Setting clear expectations is critical. And exposing team members to the consequences of their choices, actions, and more often than not, their inactions is the best thing you can do for them and for the organization as a whole. Wheaties may be the breakfast of champions, but constructive feedback is the real breakfast of champions. If you've built your organization around the principles of accountability or extreme ownership, you have properly broadcast that to the outside world, team members have self-selected in the organization on that basis, and you have told them for what they are individually accountable, then those properly aligned team members within your properly constructed organization should crave that feedback, positive or negative, and should embrace the opportunity to do better, to get better, to be better. That is how you build successful organizations and successful people. Hooyah! For my sister Bree, that's the battle cry of the Navy SEALs. For my sister Tisa, you obviously already know that because you are married to a career Navy man. I hope you've all enjoyed today's episode of Datages. Please remember to click subscribe so you get notified when the next episode on this topic drops. In that episode, I'll talk about how to apply the concepts of responsibility and accountability to your family and your work. Until then, as always, I'll leave you with a dad joke. This one is about responsibility and parenting. I have a real problem. I tend to blame people for my own mistakes and shortcomings. Yeah, I think it's because of how my parents raised me. It's definitely their fault. <laughs> Remember, Dadage's friends and family, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. Thank you for listening to Dadages. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to visit dadages.com and subscribe to the Dadages podcast to get notified for future episodes. You can rate or review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Why? Because I'm your father and I said so. Just a little respect is all I ask for. I put a roof over your head and food on the table and what do you do? No, tell me exactly what do you do because I'm doing everything. I'm paying for everything. No, get back here. Get back here right now.